We're going to be reading Luke 2, 1 through 20. The birth of Jesus Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn, the shepherds and the angels. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it has been told to them. All right. So first things first. Kids, where are you guys at? Raise up your hands. Okay, put your hands down. Okay, first... I need to tell you something about myself. Maybe you already know this, maybe you don't. But one of my favorite things in the entire world is donuts. Like pretty much pretty much any donut. Like if it's got coconut on it, that's a no. But like pretty much any other donut I love. I like donuts. How many of you like donuts? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you donuts are your favorite thing? All right, some of you are cool. I'm just kidding. All of you are cool. Uh, But donuts are great. And so I want you to imagine a scenario in which today, after service, I go home to my house, and when I get there, I open up the door, and Miss Jen is inside, and she has a donut, and she says, Dan, your sermon today was fantastic. I got this donut for you as a treat. Do you think, since donuts are one of my favorite things, that that would make me happy, or do you think it would make me sad? Happy, right? Absolutely. Now, something else you need to know is that we have a dog that is crazy. And our dog, like any food, is her favorite food. And so donuts would be like 
a delicacy for her. And so let's imagine that Miss Jen gives me that donut. I start to eat it, but before I can eat it, our crazy dog jumps up and like just snatches it away from me and then she eats it. Would that make me happy or would that make me sad? Sad, right? I would be super bummed that that donut was gone. Now, imagine with me that Jen says, just wait, don't be sad. And then she leads me to our garage, which is currently filled up with all manner of junk, but that she has gotten rid of all the junk. And now in our garage are shelves and shelves and shelves and shelves full of donuts. Do you think I would still be sad? No, that would be amazing. The reason why we're talking about this is, number one, I like donuts. But number two, because today we're talking about this thing called joy. And joy is, is an emotion kind of like happiness or sadness, but it's different in that it's not really affected by the circumstances because it's not just based on how we feel, it's based on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so in circumstances like when my donut gets eaten by my dog, I might want to feel sad, but because of Jesus, I know that there are so many good things in store for me in the future. It's like having a garage full of donuts, but better. Right? And so like if, if when I first came in that door, she gives me that donut and I know the garage is full of them. If Daisy eats my donut, I'm going to be frustrated with Daisy, but I'm just going to walk out in the garage and get another donut, probably two or three of them. When we have joy in Jesus, even when uh, the situation that we're dealing with is, is bad or, or it makes us sad, we can still have joy because of who he is and what he's done for us. And so kids, we're going we're gonna to talk about that today. We're going to see that in scripture. And so I would encourage you to go home and ask your parents about what it looks like for, for us to have joy in our lives when, when things are going well and when things aren't going well. Parents, go home and, and talk to your kids about Jesus and the joy that we have in him. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into this passage and, and, and talking about joy this morning. Father, we thank you that you, you sent your son into this world to be, to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, to, to free us out from underneath the law, to free us from sin, to free us from, from, from Satan, and to free us from death. And Jesus, that you came so that we might have life. So that we might have hope and peace and joy and know what love is. And so we pray today that, that you would use your word and you would use this, this Advent season to draw us closer to yourself, that we wouldn't be distracted by everything that's going on in our lives, but instead that we would be drawn closer to you and that our relationship with you would be the lens through which we view the stuff that's happening in our lives. And that we might be able to, to live in a way that, that draws others to you. Uh, we also pray that 
God, that your spirit would be at work in us this morning as we hear from your word together. In Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, two things. Number one, hopefully at least some of you recognized that Maddie was reading the same passage that we read last week, right? That's not, that's not a glitch in the matrix. That is intentional. Um, also, thing two is I'm sure you picked up from the kids' sermon that today's Advent topic is joy. So we've talked about hope, peace. Today is joy. And then next week on Sunday morning, we will talk about love. And so what we're doing is just like last week, we're looking at this passage in Luke uh, where, where the angels appear to the shepherds and they announce Jesus' arrival. Because last week they, they said it was good news, uh, it, was, it was peace for them. Uh, and so today we're also talking about this because they also say that it's good news of great joy. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this passage. We're going to see that the angels say that Jesus' birth is good news of great joy. We're going to talk about what joy is. And then we're going to talk about how this, his birth is good news of great joy. So, as we saw last week, the angels appear, the shepherds get freaked out, right? They're sitting in darkness, bright light appears, like their, their fear is natural. But in verse 10, the angel says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be all or for all the people. And so, first question here is, what would be another word for good news? Gospel, right? The angel says, fear not, for behold, I bring you gospel of great joy. Like, don't be afraid. It's, it's good news. It's good news of great joy that, that is going to be for everyone. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to answer two questions about this. Number one is we want to know what joy is. If they're saying it's, it's good news of great joy, we need to know what joy is so we can understand how it is good news. So question one is what is joy? Question two is how is the gospel, how is this good news uh, of great joy? And so that, those are our questions. What is joy and, and how is this good news of great joy? So question one, what is joy? I think it's important for us to define words so that we understand them. Even, even words that we use all of the time, like joy. And honestly, joy is, is, a, is a kind of difficult, difficult word to, to pin down, right? It's, it's kind of hard to define because it's, it's, not just, it's not just like a concept or an idea. It's, it's an emotion. And you all know me, I'm super emotional and I'm really in touch with my emotions. So, uh, when we talk about emotions, I'm like, this is what they are. This is how I feel. For those of you that don't know me, I'm being sarcastic. Uh, emotions are tough for me. Uh, and I think joy in particular is, is a complicated thing. And so I'm telling you this so that you know that the definition that's coming, it's going to be a complicated definition. And so let's throw it up on the slide. Here's my definition of joy. Right there. All right. Long. Joy is what God produces in us and is found in him when we set our minds and hearts not only on how things are, no matter how dire the circumstances, but focusing as well on the reality that he is making all things new. It is the emotional response that results from a hoping fully in Christ and his work on our behalf. Now that's intentionally complicated 
so that we can walk through it and, and understand it. Um, we're going we're gonna to kind of simplify things as we go. But uh, what we're going to do is, is we're going to walk through this definition and see where these pieces come from in Scripture. So first part, joy is what God produces in us and is found in him. So he produces joy in us and it's found in him. So uh, first passage, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Paul says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So Paul is saying that along with all of these other things, that joy is a, a product of the spirit in us. It's a product of a spirit-filled life. So if, if you are a believer, then that means that you can't say that joy is not something you are predisposed to. Right? The Spirit's work in us says that joy is a product of what it does. So if you don't have joy, it might be that either you don't have the Spirit at all, or it might be that you are resistant to the Spirit's work in your life, because one of the things that the Spirit does is produces joy in us. Next passage, Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the psalm says that fullness of joy is found in the presence of God. So joy is something that the Spirit produces in us, and joy is something that's found in God's presence. So if we want to know where to find joy, the psalm tells us fullness of joy is found in the presence of God. So how do we get in the presence of God? Well, Peter tells us, 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So one of the things, one of the many things that Jesus has done for us, one of the many blessings of the gospel, is that we have access to God. He, he brought us to God. And so joy is found in God's presence. Jesus brings us to God. So we have access to that fullness of joy that's found in him. So part one, joy is found in God and what God produces in us. The next part of our definition is when we set our minds and our hearts, not only on how things are, no matter how bad it is, but focusing on the reality that he is making all things new. What that means is that joy isn't just based on how things are. It's not just based on what is right now, but also on what will be, right? It's, it's like we talked about hope a few weeks ago. It's, it's future-oriented. It's not just focused on the now. It's also considering the not yet, Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 6-9. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The various trials is they're facing severe persecution. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
So Peter here is, is telling his readers not to be grieved by the trials they're facing. To, to recognize that there is, there is joy ahead of them, inexpressible joy ahead of them. They, they're rejoicing in the midst of their trials because they're not just thinking about their present circumstances. They're thinking about what is going to happen in the future for them, right? There's a, there's a future coming, Peter says, that's going to make these present trials worth it. And because joy isn't just focused on the present, it's also focused on the future, that means it can exist in, in any circumstances. And we see this reality in, in the lives of people throughout Scripture. So we saw this when we went through the minor prophets in, in, in the life of Habakkuk. Habakkuk says this, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord." I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And so Habakkuk is saying, like, no, no matter how bad it gets right now, he's still going to have joy in God. Like once we realize that our true source of joy is God, we'll quit looking to our circumstances to provide it. And Habakkuk knows that even if everything around him changes, his source of joy doesn't, Right? Fig trees and vines and sheep and cows, like they don't, they don't produce joy, God does. And when he's our source of joy, we're going to have it. And when he's not, we won't. I think in a much greater way, we see this in the life of Jesus. Right? In Hebrews 12, the, the author says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. Like I think it's, it's obvious that the cross was not a joyful experience for Jesus but he's doing it because it's not just about the present. It's about the future. He's doing it for the joy that's, that's ahead of him, not the joy that he's facing and experiencing in the present. My joy is, is produced by God, and it exists even in the darkest circumstances because we know that, that who he is is going to make it worth it. Right? His light will, will outshine and outlast even the darkest circumstances. The last part of the definition says that it's, it's an emotional response that results from hoping fully in Jesus and his work on our behalf. We see this in Romans 15, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So this is Paul's prayer for the Romans. He's praying that these things would be true of them. And we should see here that there's a strong connection between hope and, and the, the joy that we have. They, they have hope, and so that produces joy. It causes them to, to have it. Like when we are joyful, it's because we're actually hoping in Christ. And when we're hoping in Christ, we will be joyful people. Right? It's an emotion that we feel, that we experience, that we live in when we're resting on the promises of God, the ones that have already been fulfilled in Jesus and the one that we're waiting for him to fill. This is what joy is. It's something that God produces in us. It's something that we find in his presence. It's something that we have not because of how things are in our lives, but because of what we know God is doing in them. 
It's, it's the response we have when our hope is fully in Christ and who he is, what he's done for us, what he's doing for us, and what he will do for us. So with that in mind, let's answer our second question. How is the gospel good news of great joy? The angels come, they say to the shepherds, it's good news of great joy that they're bringing. Well, lucky for us, they give us the answer in verse 11. The angel says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. So the word for here, it, it links verse 11 to verse 10. They're saying like, this is, this is the explanation of this statement. This is how it's good news of great joy. Because unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Here the, the angels give the shepherds three titles for Jesus. That, that tell us, tell them more about who Jesus is and what he does. And they say joy is produced because of these things. Because Jesus is this, because this is who he is, this is what he does. Joy is produced. So the, the first title we see of Jesus in this verse is Savior. And I think that this one might have been the most joy-causing for the shepherds. Um, because... You see, like when we read this story and we hear about shepherds, I think we tend to think of like the precious moment shepherds, right? The little cute guys that have the, have the robes, they've got that like curly stick thing and like they're, they're really nice on a shelf or in a nativity. But in the ancient world, shepherds were, were not looked at like that. They, they weren't cute. They were, they were shady. They were, they were shifty types. Uh, under Jewish law, their profession was, was unclean. And so the fact that these guys are the first witnesses to this gospel pronouncement is, is, is kind of surprising. Like it, like it would be surprising to us if we were reading with that lens in mind. But really, when you think about it, these guys are representative of the kinds of people that Jesus came to save. Right? He didn't come for the religious and the self-righteous. He came for the outcast and the sinner. And like, that's exactly who shepherds were. And so when the angels say, for unto you this day is born a savior. Like, they, they would have been like, wait, you mean, you mean unto them? Like, he came, he came for those other people. He didn't come for me. But the angels are bringing good news of great joy because a savior is born for them. Right? The savior of the outcast and the sinner has come. Jesus was born into the world as a human baby so that he could be both the savior that was promised and also the savior that we need. He came as a man so that he could redeem us from the curse of the fall, so that we could be saved from both the, the penalty and the power of our sin. Right? The reality that Jesus is our savior is, is absolutely good news of great joy. And we can't miss the fact that when the angel tells the shepherds that Jesus is a savior, he's not just telling them who Jesus is, he's also telling them who they are. Not just telling us who Jesus is, he's also telling us who we are. You see, in order for Jesus to be a savior, there needs to be people in need of saving. And we can't overlook the fact that that's us. Like, right now. Right? We, we needed saving, we still need saving, and we will in the future still need saving from Jesus. 
Right? It's a joyous thing that Jesus has come because we are a people who are in need of salvation. The second title the angels give the shepherds is Christ. And I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again, that Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay? It's, it's a title like uh, doctor or, or captain. It's the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament word Messiah, which means like the one who is anointed. And so Jesus was anointed by God to be the promised one who's going to redeem God's people and and the rest of creation. And notice here that, that Jesus didn't like become the Messiah, right? It's not something that at some point in his life, he like earned this title because titles like doctor and captain, you, you have to earn. Um, but Jesus was born as the Messiah, right? And as the Messiah, as Christ, he came to fulfill all of God's promises to his people, to, to redefine God's relationship with his people, to, to make all the promises of God yes in himself. And so for all the people who are hoping and longing and, and waiting for God to fill, fulfill his promises by sending the Messiah, right? The Messiah's arrival was a joyful thing. If you don't believe me, look at Luke's gospel this afternoon and read the, the stories of Anna and Simeon who are, who are there excited that the Messiah has finally come. And it's not just a joyous thing that Jesus was born. It's a joyous thing that, that Jesus still is the Messiah. Yesterday, my eldest daughter turned 15. And when she was born 15 years ago, like, it was an incredibly joyful time, right? Our, our daughter had been born. We were, we were really excited about it. And then it was over, and like, we have no more joy in our lives. <laughs> no, right? The, the fact that she's still alive is still a cause of joy for us. Right? And it's the same with Jesus. Jesus was born, and that was joyful. It was, it was good news of great joy. It's also good news of great joy that Jesus is still alive. But I know this is Advent. It's not Easter. Don't want to spoil the ending for you. <laughs> Jesus is our Savior, and he still is our Messiah. The third title we get is Lord. And this one, this one is huge. It might not seem like it, but this is a big deal. Um, I think we've maybe talked about this before, but like if, if we could travel back in time, to like moments before the angels show up and give all of these shepherds a pop quiz and ask them, who is Lord? What they would say is Yahweh is Lord, right? They would say the, the one who made everything, he is Lord. The one who rules everything, he is Lord. The one whose will is done, he is Lord. Yahweh is Lord. But the angel says, the Lord has been born, right? This is, this is earth-shattering, heaven-rending news for them, right? The one who is up there has come down here. Yahweh has taken human form. Like right now, as the angels are talking to these shepherds, the, the Lord of all is swaddled in a manger. Right? The one who made the heavens is, is sleeping underneath them. Like it doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. 
This is the reality of the good news of the gospel. This is the reality of the good news of Jesus' birth. God came down. Jesus upset the entire order of existence so that he could come here and set things right, so he could restore things to how they were meant to be. Like this is absolutely good news of great joy for those who believe in him. Like Jesus, our Lord, has been born. And look at what happens next. It says, and suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So it's like, the, so like one angel is making this announcement. The other ones are hanging back. But when they declare this good news, the only response for them is to like burst out of hiding and praise God for what he's done. And then the shepherds say, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They're, they're, they're in a hurry to find out about this news they've been told. They, they find Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known to them the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. They share that good news with other people. But Mary treasured these things up in her heart, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard as it had been told them. Right? Joy is produced in us when we are drawn closer to Jesus. Right? This, this announcement of good news, it, it kind of sends these shepherds into investigative mode. They're like, we're going to go over there, we're going to check it out. But when they get there and they find out that what they've been told was going to happen actually happened, they overflow with praise. They respond with joy. Their joy leads to worship, and they can't keep it in. They share it with other people, and they go back to their sheep praising God. And their sheep are like, what has happened to these guys? Like this, this is what we need this Advent. Right? We need what these shepherds needed. We need a Savior. We need a Messiah. We need our Lord to, to condescend to us so that he might lift us up to be more like him. We need God to draw us closer to Jesus because joy isn't something we can produce in ourselves. Joy isn't something we can muster up by just trying harder and doing better. Joy is something that God produces in us and is found in him. And so the response for us is to do what the shepherds did. To look to Jesus. Because he's where our joy is found. And so as we enter in this, this week and in kind of the busyness of next weekend, of we're, you know, traveling to see people or people are coming to see us or, you know, presents or whatever, like all the stuff, you've got to make all the things and do all the things. Don't let it distract you from the one thing that really matters. I'd ask God to, his, his spirit is in you if you've trusted in him. Ask God to, and his spirit to, to draw you closer to Christ, to produce the joy in you that Paul says the spirit produces so that we might be people who have joy because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Let's, let's pray and we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together this morning. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus 
to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We, we can't save ourselves. We can't fulfill your promises. We don't control the way this world works or what happens to us. But you sent a Savior, our Messiah, our, our Lord, down to our level to bring us back into relationship with you, to bring us back into relationship with one another, that to free us from our sin. And that you've given us your spirit. To cause us to be joyful. And so we pray that that by your spirit, Jesus, you would draw us closer to yourself. That you would bring to mind the, the, the glorious realities of the gospel, of your birth and life and death and resurrection. And that that would have its intended effect in us, that joy would be produced, that it would overflow, that we would, we would praise you as a result of it, and we would declare good news to others as a result of it. We ask that you, you wouldn't let us be drawn after other things, but that you would drag us, no matter how unwilling our hearts and minds might be, into your presence to find fullness of joy. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.